Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. I must start off by also just saying praise be to God for gifting us with gifted people at Central. Uh, Isaac was on the keys. We had to get clogs on the drums. The meal was last minute on the sound. It is a joy to have people who are just willing to serve and are willing to fill in a gap. So thanks to everyone who filled in for us. We are grateful to God that we're able to do that. And thanks to as well the ladies who sang so well and the guitar squad. You guys sounded great. So it is a joy to be back on the pulpit tonight. Um, praise God that I'm able to preach on the Lord's Day after much needed rest and a restful time away. Um, but I come back to a Q&A session with the Apostle Paul. Um, tonight we have the opportunity to sit in to a Q&A session where the Apostle Paul is answering questions that the church in Corinth had asked him. So today, the Apostle Paul is going to be teaching the church about the birds and the bees. He's going to be having that talk with the church and, at Corinth, and he seems to answer the question in this chapter, to marry or not to marry. Now, I must say, there will be times during this sermon where you're going to feel like you walked into a marriage seminar and you are a single. So for all my singles... It's going to feel like you stepped into the wrong place at the right time, all right? But then next week, all the married people will feel like, man, I stepped into a singles people seminar. So we're all going to be covered eventually by the passage. So to set up the context here, we need to, cons to consider a few things. The church in Corinth, it seems as though from what it says in verse 1, that they wrote to the Apostle Paul concerning the issue of marriage and celibacy. It is important for us to take into account that this chapter is not Paul's treatise on marriage, but he's answering questions that had been sent to him. We unfortunately are on the one side of the call. So for example, have you ever, you're sitting with your friends and all you hear is the one side of the conversation and you wonder what on earth is the person on the other side saying? Today, we are just getting the answers from the Q&A session of the Apostle Paul, but we cannot say categorically clear what were the questions that were posed to him. So in this chapter, we will sit in on the answering session where the Apostle Paul answers questions that have similar prominence in our time today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we want to read from verses 1 to 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, reading from verse 1 to 7. And it reads, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, for the wife does not have 
authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Let's pray to God again as we come to his, the preaching of his word. Lord, I do pray that you would speak through me tonight. I pray, God, that you would help me as I bring about a message that I know is close to your heart. God, the, the topic of marriage is one that is of great importance in the world that we live in today. God, when we think about the topic of sex and the topic of marriage, Lord, there's so many uh, things that are going on out there, but God, you have been so clear in your word. So I pray that, that I would be clear in presenting what you have so clearly presented in your word. I pray tonight for the recipients of your word that, God, uh, they wouldn't be distracted by me, but, God, they would have ears open to that which you have prepared for them. I pray, Lord, that I would be a vessel faithful for your use, that, God, I, I, I wouldn't stumble over my words or I wouldn't, I wouldn't include my own opinions in this, but, God, help me to remain close to your truth. I pray, Father, where, where there is conviction tonight that, God, there would be no hardening of the heart. But, God, I pray that there would be a swiftness to, to come back to you and ask for your help, your grace that enables us to be faithful to your cause. So, God, I do pray for the married couples who will be listening to this. I pray, Father, they will be encouraged by the words that you have prepared. I pray for our singles here tonight. I pray that you would encourage them as well. And I pray, Father, that we would all see this as, as a lesson that you have prepared for us. For this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I'd like us to consider in tonight's passage is singleness with celibacy is good. Singleness with celibacy is good. Verse 1 says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So again, we can assume from the answers given by the apostle as to what these issues were. It also seems clear that the church had taken to the chin the mighty blows of confusion and contamination. Sexual immorality was found in their midst and on top of that confusion reigned within the church. Ellsworth points out in his commentary that contamination and confusion are dangerous blows served by the devil. And then he asks these questions. Are the practices of our society surfacing in our church? Are we uncritical and accepting of the belief systems served to us at the devil's table? Are we so confused about our faith that we cannot tell what it is and what isn't consistent with it anymore? 
Do we understand the basic doctrines of the faith and their implications in our lives? The church that is inquiring to the Apostle Paul seems to have had this issue. Seems to have been at this point where not only were they contaminated, but they were now also confused. And so he responds and says, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Some, hearing these words from the Apostle Paul, would have shouted in the crowd, Amen, brother, yes, that's what we've been saying. In fact, many would have read verse 1 and shouted to the others around them, See, I told you so. Even the Apostle Paul agrees with us. It is good to remain single because you should not be having sex to begin with, period. This came about as the church at Corinth had concluded that if sexual immorality is as sinful as we heard last week from Pastor Mark, then we must abstain from sex completely, even within the covenant of marriage. See, the Jews saw singleness as disobedience to God's command to be fruitful and multiply. So the course of a young boy's life was he would become a man and he must include marriage in his life's course when he is of age. On the other hand, we have the Gentiles who saw singleness as a means to holiness, as a means to purity, since you won't be having sex in obedience to God. We have some examples of that today. We have some monks who hold similar views as sex is seen as a serious monastic transgression. So what does Paul say about all of this? Well, he says it is good to be celibate. Let's break it down. First, he says, it is good. We need to read what Paul is saying and not, and, and not read what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that marriage is bad or sinful, but he is simply stating an observation. He is saying it is good, it is commendable for a man to remain celibate, single, or unmarried. In fact, we'll see in verse 7 where he'll say, I wish that all were as I am. As we'll see again later, Paul believed that he had been given the gift of celibacy. So the question that we must ask, which, which the world is asking of the Apostle Paul is, is Paul anti-marriage? Is Paul anti-woman? As he says, it is not good for a man to touch a woman. Well, the answer is no, he wasn't. Because it is believed that Paul was in fact married himself. Before his wife, we believe, well, many commentators say his wife had probably died along the way because he was within the Sanhedrin and to be a member of the Sanhedrin you had to be married. So it is possible that Apostle Paul was a widower and as a widower he believes that God had given him this gift of celibacy. Now, the ESV says in verse 1, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But the Greek actually reads, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Which is an interesting thing for the Apostle Paul to say. But what the Apostle Paul again is not saying is, he is not saying don't touch a woman because, brothers, does this mean you shouldn't be hugging your mothers or your sisters? 
What the Apostle Paul is saying is, it is good for a man or for a woman to abstain from sexual intercourse as they pursue a life of devotion to God, as we'll later see in this chapter. So simply put, singleness is commendable in its purity and commitment to God. Number two, the Apostle Paul in verse two, he gives us our second point, however, Marriage is necessary because of sexual temptation. Look at verse 2. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. You see, Paul is clear that not everyone will be able to abstain from sexual temptation. And so he says, because sexual temptation exists in your heart and it exists in your community, you should get married. Get married to spare your soul from the snare of the evil one. I don't have to remind us of what, what the context was in 1 Corinthians. In fact, I think most of us have shared the context of, of, of how this was a sex-driven community. But what I do want to remind us of is our own community. Are we any different from the community at Corinth? Some quick stats for us. Did you know that half of the young South African population or the young children in South Africa are currently watching pornography and at least 10% of them are watching it every day? In an interview that was carried out at at UP a few years ago, uh, and the results were this. They had asked 150 students, and they asked them this question. Have any of your friends had sex? Or within your friendship group, do you have any friends who have had sex before? And over 90% of them said, yes, within our friendship group, we have friends who have had sex There is no doubt that that stat has increased this year and in the years to come. You see, the reality is we live in an age where sex is trivialized. We live in an age where sex has been brought down to what they call clove clove. (laughs) The average age, listen to this, the average age of virginity loss for men is 16 years old. And the average age for women is 17 years old. And the same website goes and tries to answer the question, is it good to be a virgin? Listen to the answers. They say this, losing your virginity can be a right passage signaling a transition from childhood to adulthood. That's why we have so many 15-year-old boys who are having sex because they want to be men. Some people are having sex for the first time in an act of committed love. She doesn't love me. That's why she's not having sex with me. For others, the loss of virginity is a path to greater sexual pleasure and personal fulfillment. Friends, the reality that I'm trying to get us to see is sex is more accessible today than it ever has been before. While I was preparing, I took a pause and I went to Netflix. And I looked at the top 10 movies currently right now. Do you know eight of the top 10 movies have sexual conduct in them? And then I just went to the Billboard Top 100. I only got to five of the 10 and five of the 10 of the top 10 songs have sexual innuendo. I don't even have to start to the TV shows. 
I hope you get it. Sex outside of marriage has become acceptable, it has become available, and it has become appealing. But then there's another extreme. You hear all of this, you hear that you are living in a sex-crazed environment, you hear that your heart is sinful, you hear that, that, that the danger, that there is a danger present, and you then decide that sex in and of itself is bad. You swing the pendulum too far. And that's what happened at Corinth. And that's what happened even in John Calvin's generation. Ministers were forbidden to marry, and in so doing, like the Corinthians, they thought that they would be keeping holy. So they despised marriage, and they made rash vows of everlasting celibacy or singleness. And then what happened? Listen to, as John Calvin writes, what happened to those ministers. He says, well, I think I have it on the board. He says, well, because ministers of the church were barred from lawful marriage, the result of this arbitrariness has been that the church has been derived, sorry, deprived of many good and faithful ministers. For honest and wise men would not put themselves in a trap. At least after a long period of time, lusts which until had been repressed gave off their stench. It was not enough that those in whose case it was a capital offense to have a wife maintained mistresses, otherwise prostitutes with impunity. But no home was safe because of the lustfulness of the priests. Even that was even that was put in the shade, for unnatural and outrageous things came into the open, things which it is better to bury in everlasting oblivion than ever to mention ever by way of example. So you hear about the dangers of sex, but there is also to swing the pendulum too far and say sex in and of itself in its rightful place in the covenant of marriage is bad, and this is where the church at Corinth was. So what is Paul saying here? One sentence. Not everyone has the gift of singleness or celibacy. So therefore, do not deceive yourself to singleness vows when the Lord has gifted you in that direction. Marriage is and will be necessary for most people. The truth is, because of the sin that lives within us and the sin that lives without us, better that each man should have his own wife and each woman her own wife. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. But did you catch his intentionality there? He said that each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own wife. Sorry, her own husband. Ooh. Hey, D. <laughs> Let's say that again. <laughs> All right. Each woman should have her own husband and each man her own wife. Now, there is a case for, no, for monogamy there. It is one husband and one wife making one flesh. One plus one equals one, which leads to my next point. In marriage, the two become one flesh. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. 
The husband should give to his wife her conjugal or marital rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now at this point, it's good. it is a good place for me to remind us of where we are. We are sitting in a Q&A session with the Apostle Paul, and Paul is not giving us here in this passage the reason for marriage. So don't leave here saying that Paul has given us the main reason for marriage is sex. But he was addressing concerns that were raised, and so he is pointing out that celibacy presents serious dangers. So sex is not the only reason to get married, but marriage is an outlet for sex. On that note, church, sex is good. It is a God-given natural desire for physical intimacy with a person of the opposite sex. But sex has its place. He says the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and, the, and likewise the wife to her husband. Sex is best experienced within the covenant of marriage. There is no shame there. There is no guilt there. The, the, the nakedness is in a safe place. The bed is sanctified. The, all the activities on the marital bed are sacred as they are performed in the God. God-given marriage relationship. So please, oh single person here tonight, do not deceive yourself into thinking that you will find ultimate sexual satisfaction with many partners, but with one. Participating in casual sex before marriage, wife swapping, and having adulterous relationships will never satisfy you. Married couples, what Paul is saying in verses 3 and 4, he's saying marriage is about giving. The best marriages are those that each spouse is committed to give rather than to receive. Notice, Paul says that both the man and his wife are responsible for giving sexual intimacy in marriage. Paul is saying, as soon as you said, I do, you had given your rights to your body away as you had given them to your wife. And, and, and a wife, you had given the rights to your body to your husband. See what he says in verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now we have to pause there. The world gets us to a place where we, we can't read this passage for what it is. We read this passage and we see words like authority and we get nervous. You see, many struggle with the statements here because of the circulating ideologies in our culture. Paul, in fact, is called a misogynist because of this verse. And it must be said that because of our rape culture, we are not comfortable with that phrase that the husband has authority over his wife's body. 
Are you saying that I don't have authority over my body? Can my spouse force themselves onto me? No. We shouldn't read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in isolation. It finds itself in a body of work. Paul has spoken elsewhere about marriage. Paul, in fact, when he's talking about this idea of authority, the idea of submission is that same idea of submit to one another. Husband, submit to one another in this idea. Wives, submit to one another in this idea as unto Christ. So that's not what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit is not allowing for husbands or wives to force themselves onto their spouses. That's not the point that Paul is making. Paul is saying, think of the rights of the other rather than stand upon your own perceived rights and make demands of the other. We are to serve our partner. We are to give them for their sake rather than demand what we believe is our due. Husbands are not demanding. Wives are not withholding. Wives are not demanding. Husbands are not withholding. There is an element of service. They are serving one another. It is important to note that the word give there is in the present continuous tense signifying to us that this duty is a habitual duty and it is not sporadic. It is not an irregular duty. To be blunt here, as we'll see in the next point, sex must be a regular occurrence in marriages. I will not prescribe what regular means, but this is what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that within a marriage, sex must be regular. Look at verse 5 which is my fourth point, so do not withhold sex in marriage. He says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Church, sexual intimacy is of great importance in the marital covenant. The problem with our culture today is that singles are pursuing the marital privileges of sex on a boyfriend and girlfriend tender, whilst people who are married are neglecting their marital privileges and are living as though they are single on a single tender. Listen to what Alistair Begg says. He says, sexual fulfillment within marriage is at the very heart of what God intends. Because it expresses the bond which is permanently, which is to permanently exist between a husband and a wife. God's plan for marriage included never divorce nor celibacy. The words do not deprive are a command, not a suggestion. It is a biblical imperative for married couples to participate in sexual intimacy. The word deprive literally means to rob, to defraud. So Paul is saying, do not rob or defraud each other on this matter. Couples and future husbands and wives. Deprivation gives occasion for the, de- for the deprived to look elsewhere for fulfillment. And to destroy the marriage. I'll read that again. Couples and future husbands and future wives. 
Deprivation gives occasion for the deprived to look elsewhere for fulfillment and to destroy the marriage. Paul gives us three conditions for sexual abstinence. He says, it must be a mutual agreement. It must be a mutual agreement. Verse 5, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement. Both the husband and the wife must agree to, br- to, to breaking off sex in marriage. Lack of sex must not be used as a rod or as a tool to control your spouse or only as a reward for special occasions. If there isn't a mutual agreement on the table, sex must be regular for healthy marriages. Two, it must be for a limited time. It must be for a season only and not indefinite. Don't allow too much time to create a wedge between you and to put a stumbling block before your partner. And lastly, it must be for a specific purpose. So it must be by mutual agreement for a limited time for a specific purpose. The purpose he gives us is for devotion to prayer. The word devote is the Greek word skolazo, which means to cease from labor or to take a holiday for a purpose. It is to give oneself to something free from other cares and hindrances. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying you can deprive your marriage from sex if, sorry, if you will be giving yourself entirely to prayer undisturbed. It is that idea of you going into the closet. You are giving yourself to spend quiet time with God for a season. So the principle we can draw by application is that there there may be important reasons where sex is withheld. The one that Paul gives us is devotion to prayer seen in this passage. But we also get other, others like ill health or sorrow. But these reasons must be agreed by both spouses for a limited time to the glory of God in the preservation of their marriage. But after that, listen to what Paul says, but then come together again. Why? Paul says that the deprivation of sex in the marriage puts the couple at Satan's mercy. See verse 5. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. A couple must come back together. Otherwise, the strength of their natural passions will place them at the mercy of Satan and they give Satan a foothold of their marriage. So to close... What is your gift? What is your gift? Verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So what is your gift? The Apostle Paul's view is that all should remain single as he was. But he understands that singleness is a gift from God. 
For not everyone will have the self-control to remain single in this sex-infested world. So singles, four things. One, pray. Pray for clarity of heart as to what gift God has given you. Number two, save sexual intimacy for its rightful place. Within the covenant of marriage where God has intended it to be most satisfying. Number three, note that most of you probably will or should consider marriage because of sexual temptation. Number four, whilst you wait, praise God for the gift of his spirit who not only leads, who not only gives you the gift, but he also gives you self-control and leads you to the path where you should go. To married couples, here's your four things. Number one, marriage is your God-given outlet for sexual intimacy. Number two, your body belongs to your spouse as you surrendered your rights at the altar. Number three, your responsibility is to serve your wife and your husband in sexual intimacy. And number four, remember the three conditions for sexual abstinence. Mutual agreement, limited atone, I'm joking, limited time, and for a specific purpose. So join us next week, as next week we'll then be looking and spending more time looking at Paul's answer of who then should be single. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Father, that we have access to your truth. Thank you, Father, that although we live in a world that is constantly looking to teach us the way of darkness, God, we have your word, which is a, a light, and it is our guide. So, God, I do pray that we would be people of the book, not just by our lips, but also by the way we live our lives. So, Lord, I do pray that married, married couples would, would have this conversation about sex. Lord, sex is not a swear, a swear word. But sex is a, a, a natural thing given to us by you. Lord, sex is good within the covenant of marriage. But God, I pray for those who are single in this room. I pray, Father, as they, they long for marriage or for those who are not sure if they're going to get married or for those who are sure that marriage is not for them. I pray, Father, that by your Spirit you would give them much self-control. God, as they live in a world where they are constantly being tempted, where their flesh is constantly being targeted, Lord, help them to stand. Lord, help them to persevere to the end. Lord, may they have good testimonies of, Lord, how they have preserved themselves for you. So, God, I do pray that, God, marriages and those who are single would all do so to the glory of God. And, God, I also want to think of the unbelievers in this room Lord, I do pray that, Lord, as we go through this series, and Lord, there's not really much of the gospel being presented here, but God, I do pray that you'd help them to see that, God, we are not wandering as those who are lost. 
But God, we are wondering as, or we are walking about this earth, Lord, as those who have a shepherd. So I do pray that, God, you would draw them to yourself through your gospel, that, God, they would come to faith in you, that they would know you as the good shepherd, that, God, you would lead them down the path of righteousness. But I also want to pray for either the singles who have already fallen into sexual sin or the married couples who have withheld, Lord, this command that is in your word. God, I do pray, Lord, where conviction is present, that, God, you would bring about repentance. Lord, bring about confession of sin, and, God, help us to also delight in the forgiveness that is found in God. Lord, thank you for your grace. God, thank you that we serve a gracious and merciful God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.